escape disappointment can't avoid the delay but i don't have to make feeling down and defeated the place that i stay gonna rise to the moment gonna speak to the waves gonna push back the doubt that keeps dragging me down when i can't find a way don't need to see it i saw you Bible's on page 634, page 634, be out of Psalms 28, page 634. Real quick, uh, we want to remember the Placencia family as they travel their way back from Southern California, I believe is kind of where they hang out out there with their family, but they've got a long trek back, so we'll pray they'll make it safely back home. I assume they're coming this week uh, anyway, and we're going to keep Raul Jr. in our prayers. Um, sorry he's not feeling very well, very sorry to hear that, so we'll pray that God will give him relief uh, in a mighty way. All right, we're going to be in Psalm 28, verses 6 through 9. 
Blessed be the Lord, because he has heard the voice of my supplications. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him, and I am helped. Therefore my heart greatly rejoices, and with song I will praise him. The Lord is their strength, and he is the saving refuge of his anointed. Save your people, and bless your inheritance. Shepherd them also, and bear them up forever. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you for time together. We can come, Lord, in your house, and we can praise you. Lord, for the shepherd, for Almighty God that you are, we are so privileged to be here today in your presence. We welcome your spirit to fill this place, Lord, and fill our hearts. Teach us, Lord, what you would have us to learn today and remind us of who you are and who we're supposed to live to reflect. We bless you for um, all you're doing around us. We continue to praise you for all the answered prayers we see. I thank you that you are a true and living God as we live here today. We also want to lift up the Placencia family as they travel their way back. Lord, I pray you would just give them a safe path of travel all the way home. And I pray, God, you even use them wherever they are for your glory. And, Lord, we also just lift up Raul Jr. Lord, we know who you are. And when things look hard and uh, it can seem impossible, Lord, it's when your hand can do amazing things. So we do trust you. We know that you can. Pray, God, that whatever your will is, we bless you for that. And I pray you would give him relief uh, from this sickness. We bless you, Lord, for the day. I pray, God, as we go forth, that our praise would be um, or just a sweet sound to your ear, and our hearts would be humble as we come before you today. In your holy and awesome name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Take us back to the place we began. The simple pursuit. Oh God, take us back to an unswerving faith in the power of your name. A heart beating for your kingdom to reign. A church that is known for your presence again. God, take us back. Nothing and no one comes close to you. Nothing could ever come close. Nothing and no one, it's you and No. 
great places to worship this morning and I thank the Lord for these songs that 
help to bring our heart closer to him and prepare us for his word today. So we're continuing in the book of Romans and hopefully you're reading ahead during the week with us. We're in chapter 3 today and next week, the Lord willing, I think we'll be in chapter 4. So that if you like to read ahead um, and then I hope that you take the messages that we have and go back and study through them on your own through the week as well. I want to take just a minute and kind of uh, remind us of the last couple of weeks of the things that we're looking at and teaching through um, as Paul is helping us to understand some very deep places. And, um, you know, the whole book of Romans we've talked about is how God's plan makes man just or righteous. And so the whole book is about that. And I, I thought last week, I, I left and, and said, Lord, teaching in Romans is so hard. And I thought, why is this so hard? Because every week I just feel a little um, like something's not finished. And so this week he helped me to understand it. He said, you can't understand the book of Romans till you've gotten through the whole book of Romans. So you can't build your theology on one week. You have to hear the whole book. It's a letter. And Paul is writing this letter to the Romans to encourage them in really, truly what their theology should be. And so I I realize that that is what is going on, that every time I teach a lesson, I feel like there's some parts of it that I haven't finished saying. And it's true. It's coming, but it's not there yet. So I pray that you will hold on to each week in what God is giving us and grow in that understanding, but realizing that's not the completeness of the of the word, that Paul is going to continue to enlarge our understanding each week. So the last couple of weeks, we've talked about that uh, Paul has uh, uh, given us some great understanding, and, and I go back to Romans 1, verse 16, and I think this is probably one of the Uh, foundational two verses of the whole book of Romans that helps us to understand what he is unfolding all the way through the book of Romans. So verse 16 in chapter 1 says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm sorry, we're on page 1294. Is everybody on 1294? I'm sorry. I think I started too quickly. (laughs) Page 1294. Romans 1, verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. We're going to see today how Paul takes this understanding and unfolds it a little bit more today. But he's saying it's the power of God to salvation. It's It's his plan, it's his way that would make salvation available for mankind, for the Jews first and for also the Greek. When he says that for the Jews first and also the Greek, he's saying for the Jews and everybody that is not Jewish. So he's including all of mankind in this place. For it is in the righteous... 
For it, I'm sorry, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So Paul tells us this great good news and that he loves the gospel and he sees the power in the gospel and he sees the righteousness that is revealed in the gospel. But then in verse 18, he begins to tell us something that is what Paul is trying to tell us over the last two or three weeks and that is is that the wrath of God is coming. And I, I remember talking about this, that word is, is a presence tense. And it means it is happening. It is coming. The wrath of God is coming and it is revealed from heaven against. And he goes through and really groups people into three groupings. The first group, he says, is all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Those who have no regard for the truth. In fact, he goes on to say that they suppress the truth and that they do not glorify God and they go after the own, their own lust of their hearts. And then he goes on to list several things in uh, verse 28 and 29. And it says, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do the things which are not fitting. He said, because they would not come and surrender and see who God is, he let them fall into the darkness even deeper. And it says, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, mal uh, maliciousness, full of envy, envy murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, and they are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, discerning, untrustworthy, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death. He's saying they're deserving of God's wrath because of their ungodly ways. And then he goes on in the next chapter 2 and verse 1, and he helps us to remember that he talked about, therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. He's saying, then there's another group of people, and they are judgmental towards others as walking in sin themselves. And they find themselves judging others. And then uh, last week we taught on the place where Paul groups even another group of people, and that is a, the... Um, and so the, the group we just talked about, the judgmental places, people that are hypocritical. And last week we talked about the people who are self-righteous and walking in a religious spirit. That they feel like they are good enough that God ought to let them into heaven, let them into his presence. That they are good of their own doing because they... Uh, keep the laws, they try to do what is right, they go to church, they sing the songs, they do all of these things, and they feel like, surely 
this God would count me as righteous and good. And Paul really comes and questions them in a strong way. And he brings them into some places that they know physically, but he takes them, I believe, into looking at something even spiritually. When he asks them to look at these places of you teach thou shall not steal, but do you steal? And you teach that you should not commit adultery, but do you commit adultery? And he brings the the religious spirit into a place of saying, do you honestly in your heart hold God in the place that he deserves to be held? Or do you steal from him? And do you commit adultery with him? And do you rob from the things of this world? Do you desire, do you covet the things of this world and rob from him? And so Paul brings us into this understanding of what he is really dividing the whole world up into these categories. And as I was studying through this each and every time, and even yesterday, I was so reminded of where God has pulled me from these places. But I would tell you that he's still cleansing me from these places. But I would tell you I've been in each and every category But I would tell you that God is still working in each and every category in my life as well. He's brought me through so many things. He's cleansed me from so many things. But when I really get before the Lord and he begins to talk to me, there are still things that he says, this is not where I want you to be. There are things that are still not perfect. So Paul is opening us up today with people that he's trying to get them to do that very thing, to look into what he is saying and see why it is that they should be made righteous and justified before God. We start with verse 1 of chapter 3. It says, what advantage then has the Jew or what is... What is the prophet of circumcision? So basically, he's saying to this religious group of people, the Jewish people, he's saying, what good is it? And he's throwing this rhetorical question out there that he knows is in their mind. And he's trying to make a point. He wants to drive home his point. And so he's asking a lot of questions in chapter 3 that are all rhetorical. He knows the answer. He's driving them to some understanding. And he says, what advantage then has the Jew or what profit of circumcision? He's saying, you know, what is it that just because you're Jewish, would that make you righteous? If all of these things that we've been talking about are showing you as unrighteous. And in verse 2, he answers the question. He says, oh, much in every way. He's saying, oh, yes, it is profitable for uh, to be Jewish and to be circumcised. He says, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. And he's saying, oh, my goodness, you had such an advantage. God gave you the very words of God. He gave you the commandments. He gave you the prophets. 
He gave you the understandings of who he was. It is very profitable for you to be Jewish. You were given these great gifts. But he goes on to say, for what, and he asks another question, for what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? So he's saying, well, you know, the whole Old Testament is written about unbelief of the Jewish people and of Israel and how they would fall in and out of alignment with the Lord. And he's saying, so does this make God unfaithful because they did not follow his commandments and his ways and take heed to what the prophets were saying? Verse 4 says, certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. And he is saying, certainly not. Let God be true. No matter what mankind does, God is true. And verse 5 says, but if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? So what he is saying here, he says, but if our unrighteousness, he's saying, in other words, if my sin brings glory through God's plan to fulfill the righteousness of God, is God then unjust for bringing wrath against my sin? In other words, everybody blames God for not their, for their uh, sin and their unrighteousness. And Paul writes in verse 6, he says, Certainly not, for then how will God judge the world? For if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I also still judged as a sinner? And here's the thing. Paul is wanting them to see that through God's justice, through his judgment you see his holiness and he says and why not say let us do evil that good may come as we are slanderously reported and have and as some affirm that we say their condemnation is just what then are we better than they not at all for we have previously charged both Jews and Greek that they are all under sin. And Paul is saying, no matter what, when you get down to the bottom of it, everyone is in sin, the Jews and the Greeks. And then he writes in verse 10, as it is written, there are none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understand. There is none who seek after God. He is laying out how all mankind is. He said, there's, there's none who truly understand the holiness of God. There is none who truly seek after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. So Paul is making it very clear that if we think that we're good enough to get in heaven, that God surely will see my goodness. I hear people say all the time, well, God knows my heart. And 
it is so interesting because when people say that, they're awful times saying what they're saying is, he knows how good I am. And he knows all the good things I'm doing. He knows my heart. So he'll be okay with where I am. And he will allow me to be righteous before him. But Paul says there's no one good, not one. In fact, he goes on to say their throat is an open tomb. It's full of death. With their tongues, they have practiced deceit. They have the poison of asp, which is a, a cobra. So the poison of asp is under their lips. I thought how true this is because so often we speak things and we say things that have poison in our words to those around us. And how deceitful that we can be oftentimes with our mouths whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. It is so true. I thought about these places, and even as we were singing the last song, I just couldn't even stop thinking about some of the things that God has shown me throughout my years of, 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 of walking with him, the places he's brought me out of, the places he's shown me that are not of him, the darkness that I was in. And, and it's so many of these places, you know, the Lord showed me and reminded me I had this controlling spirit, this Jezebel spirit that had my own way, that had my own desires. I had pride. I had coarse talking, things that came out of my mouth that were deceitful, things that came out of my mouth that were as a cobra to other people. They brought um, they brought destruction and poison. And uh, he, he reminded me, I, I did not give my tithes and offerings to him. I was not thankful for the money that he had provided me most of my life. And I didn't give back to him. I found my confidence in things of this world. I put my hope and trust in what I could do and the things that I could complete and the things that I could make happen. I committed adultery in a spiritual way and physical ways. I had sexual sin in my life. So as God took me through these first three chapters of Romans, I, I could so clearly see this is me. Or this was me. And I know that as God began to change my life, it was so powerful. But it's so powerful today. Every day when we sing these songs, they are so real to me. Because it was only by his blood that God took this wretched person that I was and still am before him because God says in all your goodness it's only filthy rags you are filth before him 
And Paul is making this great understanding that we would stop and see who we were and who we still are without Jesus. Because he wants to help us to understand the good news of who Jesus is. And I would say that is such a powerful place. If you don't understand the darkness, you can't understand the greatness of the blood. Paul continues to write in verse 19. He says, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those under the law that every law may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before him. He's saying, if you really understand this, your mouth is going to be stopped. There's nothing you can say. There's no excuses that you can give. You are guilty. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. He's saying, no matter if you keep doing all the good things, if you're working through the things of the law, if you're doing good things like the Jewish people were saying, well, we're keeping these laws. In fact, we've even made some other laws. But the fact was they didn't keep the laws. They did some things that were right, but many things were not right, and they weren't able to keep the law. The same is true with us today. When we look at ourselves and we feel like we are good because we do some good things, we are deceived. And it says in verse 20, it says, Thereby the deeds of the law no flesh will be justified in his sights. He says, no matter how many good deeds that you do, you will not be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. He's helping us to understand so many people say we're not under the law anymore. We're under grace. And that is not true, and we'll be talking about that over the next few weeks. But what Paul is trying to say is that the law was given out of the goodness of God's heart that we could read the law and look in the law, read the, the Bible and look in the Bible, and it is the knowledge of sin. Most of my life, before God changed my life, I didn't read the Bible. I didn't think it was important for me to read. I went to church some. I had a general idea about what the Bible said. We were sinful, and Jesus came and gave his life, and we're all good. But I didn't look into the Word to see who I really was. So in that regard, I couldn't ever find true repentance. The law is given to us that we might see who we truly are. And the law is given that it would drive us to repentance. And it would drive us in such a place that our love for the Lord, for Jesus, would be multiplied because of the darkness that we see in us. So by the knowledge, by the law is the knowledge of sin. But it says, but now the righteousness 
of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. This is so Paul. He is so wordy that sometimes it's hard to understand what he's saying. You have to kind of break things down. So I want to do that. And let's take out some of these um, phrases that uh, are just enlarging his understanding but help us to understand the meat of what he's saying so it's he really is saying but now the righteousness of God and we're going to leave out this other part and go down and the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus to all who believe the righteousness of God Apart from the law and revealed is, is witnessed by the law and the prophets. He's saying it's all there in the law and the prophets. When he says apart from the law, he's really talking about apart from the law of sin and death. He is saying, and uh, let me see, I think I have some scriptures to help us to better understand that. Let me see. What, um, I do, but let's start right here. I wrote this out a little bit as God was helping me. It says, but now God's way of making people righteous has been witnessed or made clear by the law, of the pro by the law and the prophets that the righteousness comes from God through faith in Jesus Christ to all. That's what Paul is trying to say to us. He's trying to say, and so now I want to read this again. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, the law he's talking about there is the law of sin and death. That your sin causes and brings death. The law of sin and death. There's no ifs, ands, and buts. You sin, you get death all of mankind has sinned all of mankind is death but he's saying that now the righteousness of God apart from this understanding of sin and death is revealed being witnessed it's witnessed by the Torah God's law and the prophets they they were able to help unfold and illuminate God's plan. Does that make sense? And what they're illuminating is, is that the righteousness of God comes through this place of faith in Jesus to all who believe. There, there is no difference. A couple of things, if you like to write in your Bible, the word even is not in the Greek understanding. And so I, I think that even confusing is the matter even more. It also, and on all, is not in the Greek. So it is best to just mark those out, and it helps you to find a little bit more understanding. But Paul goes on to help to us to understand what he is trying to say. He says in verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
So he says it again. He said it over and over and over that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. All people have sinned. And the only place to be justified is a free gift. And that is what grace means. It's a gift. So if you say being justified freely by his gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The redemption is Jesus paid the price for your death. Every time I come to these places, it brings me to tears. Because many years ago, when God first began to change my life, he began to show me exactly what that looked like. That all these places that I listed, and, and the many more that I have not put down on paper for you today, but all of these places, I was deserving of death. God showed me that so clearly when I was involved in a relationship that I was not supposed to be in. It was not in his will, and it was against his laws. And I'll never forget the night that he grabbed a hold of me and he said, I'll tell you exactly who you are. You're an adulteress. I'd never thought about it in those terms. I had justified the relationship I was in, and I'd never known exactly how it, and I hadn't cared how it looked to God. But it's not just this, it was every sin I was in. But that night he showed me something so powerful. He said, I want you to look up what the penalty for adultery is. And I looked it up in Leviticus I had to go to my computer and type that in. What is the penalty for adultery? Because I didn't know how else to find it. I was not familiar with the Bible. I didn't read the Bible. I couldn't have told you where that would have been. But he led me to it, and it was in Leviticus, right in the heart of his law. And it said very clearly that if you're caught in the act of adultery, you should be stoned to death. Over the next few years, God began to truly help me to understand exactly what he did. And in that place where I was deserving of death, for each and every place that is not in alignment with him, Jesus stepped in and took my place. It was a gift. I didn't deserve it. I didn't do 
good things to make it right. I didn't do enough good that he was obligated to do this. No. I was exactly where Paul is saying I was. But Jesus, but Jesus, justified me through the redemption that is in Christ. The redemption. He paid the price. He stepped right in, in my place, and he said, I will be crucified for you. I will go through this agony for you. It wasn't an easy place. It wasn't what Jesus wanted to do. He wasn't looking, looking forward to this place, even though he was willing to do it for me. In fact, if you read, you know that in the, night, in the garden, in the, on the night before his crucifixion, he is crying out to the Father, and he's saying, if there's any other way, If there's any other way that this cup, this crucifixion could pass from me, he's, he's crying out. He says, please, if there's another way. But then he says, but not my will, but your will, Father. That it would be fulfilled, that mankind could have a way to be justified. You know what justified means? It does mean to be in right standing. But I've heard it said, and I do like the way this is said, that many say that justified means to be just as if you had not sinned. To be just as if you'd never done these things. That's what he did for me. That's what he did for me. He paid the price for my penalty. But in that same moment, I was justified before God. Verse 25 says, Whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood, an atonement, a paying of the price. God set that plan in motion by his blood. Through faith, to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance, God had passed over sins that were previously committed. To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So he was actually taking care of two situations 
that he might be just. He had to have, there had to be a price paid for sin. There had to be a price paid for my sin because of God's holiness. God couldn't overlook sin. Because of his holiness, it had to be atoned for. It had to be paid. Somehow, it had to be justified. It had to be made justified, but it was also the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So not only was it allowing God to be uh, made just and in this place of atonement, but it justified me through faith, through simply believing that Jesus was who he said he was, that he was God, that he did come to this earth, that he did walk a sinless life which made him righteous. A spotless lamb that could be sacrificed for each and every one of us. In faith. Verse 27 says, Where is the boasting then? It is excluded. By what law or works? No, by the law of faith. He's saying, so through this act, how are you going to be boastful? How are you going to boast about your righteousness? He says, there's nothing you can do here to be boastful about. You've done nothing. It only comes through the law of faith. Faith in what Jesus has done. I understand this so clearly because I've experienced it. I was thinking about that yesterday, and I, I thought a little bit about, put your marker here, and we'll come right back to this, but I thought a little bit about what this faith is because, um, you know, faith is kind of challenging to try to explain to somebody, isn't it? But I know it. I know what happened to me. I know it because I knew who I was, and I couldn't get to faith until I knew who I was. And then, as God began to open my eyes to what the gift was available, I could choose to receive that gift or to push the gift back. The gift that he would be crucified in my place. The death that was due me, he would take on. 
I was reminded of this place of faith and that's all that's required from me is faith. And yet, what is that? And he led me to Hebrews 11 where the Bible defines what faith is. And then if you want a great place to read this week, Hebrews 11 would be a great place to read because he goes through and defines it by the Old Testament understandings of people who walked in faith. But it says in verse 1, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. I thought about this word substance, and I looked it up because I wanted to make sure it's a place of being confident. So really, substance, it, I like that word, but then I'm not sure it explains it to us. Because substance, you can hold on to. It's something tangible to me. Is that what substance means to you? Yes. But if you look this word up in the Greek, this word really means confidence are assured, are knowing that you know. And I thought, yes, that's faith. That is faith, absolutely. Knowing that you know, it became tangible to me that night. I could hold on to it. So faith is a substance of the things hoped for. The place of hoping that somehow I wouldn't have to die. That somehow God would do what was needed. I was confident that night in that he had. And this word hoped doesn't mean like I hope tomorrow it's going to happen. It's a word that means confident in what is going to happen. So in this place, the faith is the substance of knowing that you know that you know That Jesus has done what is needed. It's the evidence of things not seen. I understood that that night. Because I knew that I knew that I knew who I was. And I was hopeless to stand before God. But faith reached down inside of me with the power that you can't see 
It's an evidence of something that's unseen. But you know that you know that you know it. Because it grabs a hold of your heart and it changes who you are if you receive it. And through that place, a new creation is born, a new creature, a new person. And God reveals these places to you and allows you through his righteousness and his power and his blood to walk out of the darkness you're in and into the righteousness that he is and has fulfilled and wants to share, share his righteousness with you. So when God looks at me, he doesn't see what I remember. I know it was there. It's so funny because I, even a few years ago when God was talking to me about something very important and I came before the Lord and I said, Lord, you know I've been divorced. And that's against your laws. And I remember so clearly what he said. And it's so powerful. He said, you've repented of that. I don't see that on you anymore. You see, in this place of repentance, it draws us into the very blood of Jesus and what he has done in paying the price that this place could be redeemed and justified just as it never happened. I saw it so clearly when I was reading through this yesterday and I thought, there it is. There it is. Not only did you pay the price for me that I don't have to die for the sins I've committed, but you have justified me just as if I never sinned, just as if I never did these things. I remember them. How is that, God, that you don't see them on, over me? It's the evidence of things unseen. But that confidence of the things hoped for. Not hoped, and I hope it'll happen, but confident in knowing that Jesus was who he said he was and did what he said he would do. We'll finish up in Paul here. If you turn back to Romans 3. In verse 28, he says, Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith, Apart from the deeds of the law, I did nothing to deserve it. Or is he, 
the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes. Of the Gentiles also. That's me. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised, the Jewish people, by faith, and the uncircumcised through faith. Do the... Do we then make void the law through faith? And Paul says, certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. We uphold the law. And I was thinking about that. I thought, yes, I see that, Lord. Only through the law was I able to see the darkness in my life and how it, unrighteous and ungodly it was before God. But the gospel takes the understanding of that place and through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus upholds the righteousness of the law. Does that make sense to you? The last place I want to look, hmm, there's so many places, but uh, I want to finish with on Romans 12, verse 3. Paul will continue to talk about righteousness and faith throughout this place. So it will be good to have this foundation. But I want to leave you with this last scripture in Romans 12, verse 3. For I say, <clears throat> through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. I've thought about this measure of faith. And I think what Paul is saying is something I'd never seen before. But I believe that God, what Paul is saying is that God has given everyone, not just those who are believers, but everyone a measure of faith. Your faith is what you'll decide that you choose to believe in. You can believe in Big Bang theories and have faith in that. You can believe in all gods lead to Yahweh and you can have faith in that. Are you through your faith in Jesus? can be justified before the most, most high. That's the only place to be justified is when you put your faith, that measure of faith that God gives you into the one who can justify you and redeem you from your sin. I pray that these things will 
hit you as hard as they do me every time I look at them. And that I pray that you'll be moved. Even if God touched you a long time ago, I pray that that will still be so real to you. That you would see the things that he's done for you in the past, the sins that he has freed you from, but I pray that it will encourage you to continue to walk in that place seeking holiness and righteousness that can only come through his spirit living in you. If there are places that um, are tearing at your heart today and our elders can stand with you in prayer, I pray that you'll come to the back and Allow us to join with you as you seek the Most High in this place. Thank you.
Jesus was speaking, hallelujah.